Well, as I mentioned last week, we have two new series that we will uh, be studying, and from time to time I will interchange them between morning and night, as we're doing right now, that uh, our new series in 1 Corinthians, those first four chapters, will mainly be on the Sunday evening, but uh, we're going to take that on this morning, and our new series, Relentless Grace, will normally be on Sunday morning, but it's going to kick off tonight, and uh, there's a reasoning behind that, I won't go into all that, but uh, I do encourage you to come to both morning and evenings, that they are different lessons, and uh, there's, as I'm compelled to switch them back and forth, uh, uh, you will be able to keep along with it with how we're going with that. In, in regarding 1 Corinthians, these first four chapters are about divisions. And I want you to imagine the, the situation as it would have unfolded here uh, in the church in Corinth. Because you ha- would have had a letter that would have been sent through a messenger from Paul that would have arrived at this church. And then somebody would have taken this letter and stood before the congregation and read to them the letter that Paul had written to them. And you can imagine the excitement that would have been in the Corinthian church to know we have a letter from the Apostle Paul. Let's hear what he has to say. And after he goes through the standard greeting and thanksgiving that every New Testament letter possesses, in fact, even secular letters would possess, imagine hearing the words as it was now proclaimed before the congregation, I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers I just imagine everybody's kind of sank down on the chair and went, whoa boy here's Paul going Chloe tells me you're fighting And I want you to be of the same mind and the same judgment. And that's the paragraph we're going to look at this morning is this appeal for unity and how the Apostle Paul says that unity then is supposed to come. I think the New King James is really useful here because it observes that there are three times that the Apostle Paul says same. He says, I want you to speak the same thing, joined in the same mind, and have the same judgment. There are many things as the congregation, he says, I want you to have the same, same words, same way of thinking, same understanding, same judgment, and that is what he desires for them to have. It is the goal of that congregation. And he appeals to them and says, this is what you need to have, my brothers. Not the fighting that is going on, not not the quarreling, not the divisions, but to come together with the same kind of thinking. To come together and be able to speak the same words together. To have the same understanding and possess the same judgment. And I want you to think about that challenge for a minute. How are we supposed to be able to have the same mind, the same judgment, and say the same words? Because that's not going to be easy. We've all come from different backgrounds and have different understandings and gone through different experiences. And you can imagine the Corinthian church with this mixture of Gentile and Jewish Christians coming together with all of their worldliness that we read about in this letter. And here he's calling for them and saying there needs to be unity. 
There needs not to be fighting. There needs not to be division. But the sameness of mind and judgment and speech. I would submit to you there's at least two things that we could just generally speak to of how that would be accomplished for us. Number one, if we're going to have the same speech and have the same mind and have the same judgment, there is a requirement on our part then as Christians to be able to approach the Word of God and change our opinions, change our way of thinking, and change our worldview. That we cannot then come together and say, well, my worldview is correct and my values are correct and my opinions are correct. And it doesn't matter what I read or what anybody else says. That's just the way it's going to be. We will never be able to speak the same things. And we would never be able to have the same mind or same judgment if that's how we come together. There is in having the same mind and same judgment and same speech a willingness on every person's part to say, I will subject my will to the will of God. And that I will admit that I may not be right in my worldview. That my understanding of how things ought to be and what life is to be like may be incorrect. And I'm willing to change it based upon the scriptures. Because if we don't approach it that way, there will not be unity. There will always be division. There will always be fighting. There will always be challenges and difficulties. Unless we are willing to come together and say, we are willing to change our minds. We are willing to change our opinions. We are willing to change our values and points of view so that it will become in line with the gospel. You think about the letter to the Corinthians, is that not exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to do? I mean, every chapter is, you've got that wrong, and 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 here's what you need to do about it. And you can't come to the Word of God and go, well, my way is right, and let me figure out how to make the Word of God conform to my worldview. We have to be willing to change our worldview, and be willing to change our opinion. Our, even our values and our way of thinking to align with the Scriptures. The second thing that I think would be required would be not only, number one, a willingness on our part when we come together to change, but that we have to spend a lot of time together speaking to each other for that to occur, don't we? I mean, the only way for us to be able to speak the same thing is to start talking to each other if we're going to say the same thing. I have to know what you're going to say. You have to know what I'm going to say if we're going to be able to work together in this to say the same thing. And I have to know what's in your mind and you have to know what's in my mind if we're going to be able to have the same mind and be able to work together as a congregation. There is an absolute requirement on our part to understand the importance of gathering together to be able to do that. And I hope that you would consider like our Bible studies are not some kind of, well, who knows who came up with Bible studies at 930 in the morning and and Wednesday nights. And so, you know, those were all kind of cursory things that some guy that we don't know made up long ago. But Joel, you'll have to be here now. That may be true in terms of somebody made it up. But the purpose is that we would speak the same things, have the same mind, and have the same judgment. And I will submit to you, there is no way for us to do that with me just dumping information on you from the Word of God 40 minutes a week and me saying, well, you just need to conform to my way of thinking. 
I think that's kind of the standard operating procedure anymore. Preacher tells us what to think. We all go, yeah, he's right. And then we all go on our way. That's not what Paul means. That's not what's supposed to happen. There is supposed to be a coming together where you speak and I speak, you share, I share, we share, interchange, tell one another what we see in the Word of God so that we can come to the unity of the faith. And this is one small way to do it, but I'll tell you, our Bible studies are the best way to do it. Questions can be asked, opinions can be explored, and we can talk about what the Word of God says. That's why we do those things. That's why we do all of these home studies around the neighborhood. And that's why we do Wednesday class and why we do Sunday morning class is because the goal is what he's saying right here. I appeal to you to speak the same things. I don't want there to be division among you. I don't want there to be fighting and quarreling. And the way to avoid division and the way to avoid fighting is that we will speak to one another on things. I've had people come to me and say like when we've done our Bible studies and we've done some pretty tough stuff I think like divorce and remarriage and spent like you know months studying through all the ins and outs and all the different things and people have come and said I can't believe you're doing that that's the only way to not have division avoiding discussing difficult issues and doctrines and topics is the best way to have division and fighting is because when something's going to come along and we're all going to look at each other and go, well, there's a hundred different opinions in the room. It's not going to work out very well for us. But if we come together and study and express what we see and talk and work through it, and I change my mind and willingness to listen to you, and you change your mind and willingness to listen to others and study and go through these things, this is how we will avoid division. And this is how unity will come. This is what I think the Apostle Paul is expressing here is how can it be I hear divisions that are among you? That's not the goal. You need to have the same mind, same way of thinking, same judgment, speak the same words. And so there's a requirement on our part that as we belong together in the family of Christ to be able to let go of our worldview, to be willing to change our opinions, to listen to what other Christians have to say and share our view with other Christians and come to the unity of the faith together. That's the goal of why we're here today. And this is the attempt that the Apostle Paul's getting to them. Let's be joined together in those things. In verses 12 through 16, he's going to talk about what's destroying unity at the moment. A really interesting scene is going on there in this section. Verse 12, some people say, well, I follow Paul. Some are saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter, Cephas there, or or I follow Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Or, Or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Here you have what seems to be people aligning behind human leaders. Well, we follow this guy. We like his teachings or we think he's more powerful or he's really good and we're following after him. I'm a Peter guy. Peter's powerful. I like Peter a lot. Oh, Paul. I like Paula. Apollos. Boy, that guy can teach. I follow Apollos. And then I think there's even some self-righteous people going, hey, we follow Christ. I mean, come on, you guys. We follow Christ around here. Uh, You can just imagine the scene of everybody is divided over saying, here's who we follow. And the Apostle Paul tells them, how can your hope or how can your identity be tied to some human individual? Did that human die for you? Were you baptized in the name of that person? 
Are we going to suggest that Christ is divided? We all say, well, I'm part of this faction and I'm part of that faction. We'll all just follow all these these human leaders and, and, and do that kind of thing. Why would we put our hope in another person? Why would we follow after somebody as if they were crucified for us? I think the biggest way we see this problem today is that we have a, a, a joking term. We'll sometimes call it preacher-itis, right? You just kind of follow the preacher. Whatever he says, we like him. Wherever he goes, we'll follow him. We're on board with that guy. Preachers are not to be idols. And I don't know how to keep that from happening except to tell you, don't do that. <laughs> And to do my best not to emphasize myself in any way possible. Oh, it's not about following some human. It's not about that at all. You listen to Christ and you follow Christ. You don't follow me. You don't follow a particular preacher. You don't follow somebody of renown, somebody who's really important. And everybody says, oh, he's really great. He's really respected. You follow the word of God and you follow Christ and you listen to what he has to say. And I've seen that in a, in a lot of different ways. I, I have it regularly happen where people will say, I don't see your name on anything. Yes, exactly. That is totally the point. <laughs> You're trying not to put my name on things. I don't think my name should be anywhere at all because it's not about me. It's all about Christ. That actually happened in our gospel meeting just a few few weeks ago. If you notice our flyer, it did not say who was speaking. I just had all the information about it. I left the two names off. And I can't tell you how many preachers in the area called me asking me who's speaking. And I turned and I said, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> right? It doesn't matter, right? You, you should come no matter what. It shouldn't be a, well, who's talking? Okay, well, now I want to listen. Oh, that guy, no. <laughs> I don't really want to listen to the Word of God from that guy. It doesn't matter who it is. That's not supposed to be important. That's exactly what's going on here in Corinth. Is that the goal here is for that the Word of God to be displayed. Our excitement is in the Word of God. And our excitement in any individual should be that we know when we hear that person, they're going to open up the Word of God. That's the only thing that we're concerned about. And we know, okay, if Bubba comes or Dan comes or Andy comes, we know they're going to give us the Word of God. And that's why we're excited. But that's about the Word of God. It's about hearing what God has to say. We want to hear what God has to teach to us. And we must then be able to express that to others, that the Scriptures are all about displaying Jesus and no one else. In fact, I I told you before, I went in a gospel meeting one time, and I loved it when I first walked up there and taped to the pulpit was right there the words that said, Sir, we desire to see Jesus. And I about cried before I started the first lesson because I was like, that is awesome. And that's exactly right. That is the whole goal of preaching is that people would see Jesus. And it's not about paying attention to the individual. It's not about some kind of glorification at all. We belong to Jesus and we follow him. If I could state it any more bluntly, a preacher has absolutely zero status. I have none. I, you, you guys are so kind to support me to be able to stand up here and yell at you every week and, and tell you what the word of God says. But I have no status. I am just as equal with any of you 
And you're not supposed to perceive me as anything else but a teacher of the word of God. And that's it. That's it. That's all I do is I'm just here teaching. And to glorify me or any preacher and elevate them is exactly what will cause divisions. Because things will come up and we'll be like, well, what does Brent have to say? Who cares what I have to say? What does the Word of God say? You follow the Word of God. This isn't about any individual or following them. But too often today, I think we see it, where teachers are very much about elevating self. They're very much about wanting people to follow them and to get glory to them. And that is absolutely a violation of this text. And I think it makes God sick to see his creation taking glory that belongs to Jesus and applying it to themselves. We are nothing before him and God is everything. And Christ Jesus deserves all of the glory and deserves all of the honor. Therefore, unity can only come when we are centered on Christ alone. That's the only way we'll be unified is if all of our eyes are always placed firmly on Jesus. We're always looking to what his example is, what his teaching is, and we are going to follow him. And humans then must never make much of themselves. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing there in verses 14 through 16. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I'm grateful that I wasn't doing that because the last thing I want is any of you calling yourself after me. In fact, I love the parenthesis in verse 16 where he's like, well, there might have been some other people that I baptized too, but I don't remember because that's not important. It doesn't matter who baptized who. It doesn't matter who the teacher was. It doesn't matter who stood in the water. That's not important. The glory belongs to Jesus and to him alone. And that's why he uses this language here and said, I'm glad I wasn't a part of any of that because the last thing I came to do was for you to follow me. I don't want you to do that. And friends, I hope that as Christians, we would demand that from our leaders in terms of elders or deacons or preachers or any leaders that we have, that they're always pointing us to Jesus and they're never like, well, it's all about me. You know, I have the say so around here. That is not Christ like leading and that is not what's given to us. And that's what you see an apostle saying this. Here is high supreme authority apostle going, it's not about me. It's all about Christ. And may our eyes always be focused on that. In fact, you'll notice verse 17 is so strong in that. Where he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. One of the reasons that the Apostle Paul does not remember who he baptized and all of that is he says the goal was preaching. The goal is to preach the cross of Christ. That is the mission. Uh, is the mission is not, all right, I've got my tally sheet and let me count how many people I baptized and now I get my gold star before God. The mission is preach the gospel. The mission is tell everybody about Jesus. That's the mission that we are given. And we cannot put the focus simply on baptism as so easily it is to do. Remember, in just a couple of chapters, what we're going to see Paul say, you know, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one that gives the increase. People are being saved not because of humans, but because of God who saves. 
That's where the emphasis lies. It's not about, oh, people were baptized. I am such an awesome teacher. It was so about me, and that's why we have so many people following. The Apostle Paul says that's nonsense. That's not the reason why at all. That's why he says, so I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach everybody, and if they're going to hear the word of God, they're going to become baptized and become Christian as well. They're going to follow him. It's the word of God that draws people. And our mission that is just to tell people, here's the word of God. That's the goal. Uh, baptism is a response of faith. The goal is not just to say, okay, we hit the waters of baptism, spike the football, touchdown, you know, we're good to go, we're yay, and we're done. You've just hit the beginning point of faith. You've just begun in your walk with God. That is your response of faith as you turn from your sins, that you confess Jesus is the Son of God who came to this world, who died for your sins, and you then submit to the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away so that you can be a child of Him and now you follow Him. That's the response of faith. So many read this verse and, and make so much of it. Well, see, Paul didn't come to baptize, so that means baptism's not necessary. That, that's a staggering argument to me from this verse because that's proving way too much. Paul's argument is they'd all been baptized. He's just glad he wasn't a part of it because he didn't want all the glory to come to him because they've got a problem there about following those who were teachers there. Is absolutely teaching quite the opposite. Obviously, it was critical, it was necessary, it was important because everybody there had been baptized. That's what he's saying. And I'm glad I wasn't one of them except for just a handful of you. So how then is the cross emptied of its power? You notice that's what he says in verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Well, why not? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Uh, some of the translations will say he preached with uh, words that were not clever. Uh, not clever words are not in, in clever speech. And what you find in the, the, the church in Corinth is their concern was much more about the polish rather than the substance. They wanted good oration. They wanted it entertaining. And that's what you read about. Corinth was very much that way. And what you read about in 1 Corinthians is all about the show. Were you a polished speaker? Were you really good at being able to talk to people? And they would follow and listen to those kinds of people. And notice the Apostle Paul makes an argument here and says, so I didn't come to you that way because I don't want the cross of Christ to be diminished of its power in the slightest. I'm not going to try to be with fancy words and try to wow you over with some really great things about how I'm going to say it. I just preached the cross to you and that was all that was needed. But I think it's useful to consider I don't think the Apostle Paul is just capping on being able to speak while standing in front of people as, as a problem. Remember, Apollos was an eloquent speaker. He's even noted that way. And here's Apollos' name, I think by no accident, uh, here is one that these people were following after. But the point is, that's not the goal. It doesn't matter if he's a good speaker or not. What matters is, is the Word of God being proclaimed. I know some fantastic preachers that you would say on an oration level were terribly dry. And the things that they say are staggering because of their insight into the Scriptures and what they're proclaiming. 
I won't say their names because I don't want them to take that as a negative. I'm saying it as a positive, but just in case they would hear that as a negative, it's very much a positive. That's a great thing. We shouldn't be like, oh, well, you know, that was uh, really not smooth and polished, so we just, you know, don't want to hear that. That's exactly what the Corinthians were doing, is trying to align themselves over who's the better teacher, who's got the better oration, who has got the better polish. I hope you will consider that's exactly where our world is today. Our world is in this very thing of eloquence trumps over content. It doesn't matter what you say, just how you say it. <laughs> and we're very much like the Corinthian situation in the Corinthian culture. If you say it in such a way, well, then we're all just fine with it. But if you don't say it in a particular way, well, it's the same words. That changes everything. I want you to consider that the whole idea is that eloquence and presentation, according to the Apostle Paul, would not be something that would distract from the presentation of the gospel. That is the very thing that he is getting at here. And that's why he did not preach with clever words. He says, I didn't want anything to get in the way of showing the power of the cross. I wanted you to see Jesus. I didn't want you to see Paul. I wanted you to hear the power of the cross. And I didn't want anything to get in the way of that distraction in any kind of fashion. And I think it's important for us to consider that because... It's very easy in an effort to try to accumulate numbers and to get people in. And we want to get people in the pews. We want them to hear the word of God to try to make the means by which that people will hear the gospel will be through eloquence of presentation. That we will do things on an external way so that they'll kind of be interested in wanting to hear. And so we will do certain things and we will try to keep their attention. And that can be from simple things to to very big things. We can have guys who just say, I'm going to tell you a bunch of funny stories. You know, uh, get up here, start telling you a joke or two. You all laugh, get on my side in terms of an audience perspective. And now you listen to what I've had to say because you've had a good laugh. And then I'll just kind of do something really cute and we'll all go home. That's the very thing the Apostle Paul's condemning. I'm not coming to you in clever words. I don't want my words to be a distraction from the cross. I want you to hear the word of God, not stories, not things that don't bring us to understanding God and his word at a greater depth. That should be the only intention of an illustration is to help us understand what God was saying, not as some kind of, well, now we're all thought that was really funny. And so we all feel good today. All right, now let's get on with it. It's all of us supposed to be about the word of God. And I submit to you, when we pander to the world and its wisdom, which is what our society wants. We want stories. We want entertainment. We want a fireworks show. Put coffee out there in the foyer when we walk in. Give you a pizza when we leave. And let's make it all really fun for us. When we pander to that, we're diminishing the cross. That's what Paul is saying. The cross is supposed to be on central display. And I look at my goal when I speak to you. And I've told you this as the goal of trying to get out of the way of the text. The text is glorious. And the goal is not for me to be in front of it and go, you know, shining arrows on me. Look at me. I'm talking to you. The goal is for you to go, man, that was really amazing. Look at what Paul said. 
We're supposed to do that with everybody. Show people God. Get out of the way of the text and let the text explode before them because it's the Word of God that is going to save, not us. And so then, well, this went backward. I got too excited. Sorry about that. We'll run up the. Therefore, then, true preaching draws people to Jesus. We are not here to draw people to ourselves. In fact, I'd be a little bit stronger about it and say, drawing people to the preacher is a failure. That is a cataclysmic failure. And when the frame of the Apostle Paul, that brings division. We will not be united if we're drawing people to other people. The goal then is to bring people to Christ and not to pander to worldly desires or things like that. I even, I mean, I'm so serious about that. I try to keep that thing pretty muted. I mean, we can make that thing do all kinds of cool things. I mean, we can we can roll out YouTube videos all over that. I mean, we can make that thing go nuts. We can get the audio up all that. I try to make that very just in the background so that we're focused on the Word of God and not watching something as well. It's just always for us to be so careful to think about how the Apostle Paul said, I didn't do these things because I didn't want the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. That what we do when we come together and we're worshiping is that the cross of Christ is on full display and that all of its power is seen and that there is no distraction from that in the slightest. I think what we see with Ezra is really a good summary of what it's all about. When we see Ezra there in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8 as he's before all the people, it says, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. I don't know of a better definition of what teaching the Scriptures is supposed to look like, except we read it, we go, here's what it means, and amen to that, and there we go. That's it. That's what teaching is supposed to look like. And that's what we see Ezra doing as well. And that should be our concern. Now you would think about, here's the Apostle Paul saying, I want there to be no fighting, no quarrels. You would think he would have gone to something really deep and problematic, right? And yet notice where he begins. You're putting your hope in human leaders. And that's a really big problem. And that's causing the divisions that have formed within you. And that's causing the strife and the quarreling that is taking place. The primary way that we will fight division and that we will abstain from fighting and quarreling with one another is that we will remember that it is not about us. It's not about any of us. It is only about the proclamation of the cross of Jesus. It is not about anyone else nor anything else. That our emphasis would always reside there in every song that we sing, in every prayer that we make, in every teaching that is given, and every memorial that we have. It is always the cross of Christ that stands on display and not by any human that we would instead take a step back And make sure that Jesus is always at the forefront of everything that we are doing. Let us then keep our focus on Jesus. And strive to work and worship together with the same words, with the same mind, and the same judgment. Because we're focused on Jesus. And we're spending our time together focused on Jesus. And putting all of our effort focused on Jesus. And not about ourselves. We're going to sing a song now. We invite you to come to Jesus. We want you to see that He is everything. That He is the ultimate. He is all that there is in life.
And that you would submit to Him with all of your heart because He is the one who was crucified for you. He is the one who died for your sins. And I hope that the reason that you are here is because you enjoy hearing the Word of God and you enjoy worshiping your Lord and Savior Jesus who died for you. That's why we're here and that's why Christ is everything to us in this congregation. If you are ready to give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to turn away from your sins and to follow Him in faith, confessing Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, the opportunity is available to you. The water is ready. If you would come and do so now, won't you come forward now while we stand and while we sing?